Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 49. Welcome to the brand new Pat Mayo Experience, or Mayo Media Network Studios. Obviously, I'm here. My boy Hezbollah in the back. Cody Saftik is on the line with us. He's on the big screen behind us as well. Obviously, we've stepped up the game here. We're working out the kinks, the audio, some of the lighting and stuff. I just thought about it right now. We were doing golf shows earlier. We have green lights on the desks. It's probably something I would change, but we're rolling now. We're rolling now. We're, we're into it. Uh, Cody, how are you doing? Obviously, we're coming off of a pretty good week. Last week, I was busy doing a bunch of this stuff, so I didn't get heavily invested in a bunch of plays, but both plays that I posted came through. You had, what, the top three lines of your parlays hit. Good times had by all. Good times had by all. That's the second straight UFC that we've done well in. And overall, knock on wood, about the last three weeks overall for MMA betting have been quite glorious. In a new studio now, moving on up. And the MMA gods reward us with a terrible-looking card, Paul. My God. Very greasy. Tons of trap spots. But that's why I'm happy to be joined by you so we can figure them out together. Bro, after after last week's card... This doesn't look oh, this so, is worse, man. This doesn't look so <laughs> bad from an entertainment standpoint. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From a talent level sure. standpoint, this is a pretty good card. We're getting like Stockholm Syndrome, basically, uh, from some of the UFC cards. I mean, the, the Walker, yeah, Walker versus Hill. Like that maybe it's up there with the uh, Patty Holohan card back in, in Ireland when somebody <laughs> dropped out last second. Like that was really, really low level stuff. I mean, obviously, RDA had to pull out. We've got Isla Makachev taking on Bobby King Green. Green coming in on incredible short notice. Props to him taking the fight that nobody really wants to take in the lightweight division right now. Islam is a minus 900 favor. Bobby Green can be had for plus 600. We talk about Bobby Green all the time. I was I bet Bobby Green two weeks ago. Um, he delivered. He did great. When we start talking about Habib, the, the, the family lineage and, and the guys that Habib, you know, really focuses his energy on, Makachev is one of those guys. He's probably the best of all of those guys. The grappling is on a whole different level. Bobby's got to come into this fight with a, I got to kill this guy before he gets me to the mat because if it gets me to the mat... I may not be able to get back up. I, I think Bobby Green is going to come in guns a-blazing in this fight. Um, wrestling is good. Grappling's good. He's, he's very, very good in most situations. Obviously, he's met his match here against Islam Makachev at 160 pounds. They're doing it at a catch weight, which kind of makes sense considering that Bobby Green's coming in on short notice. I'm kind of tempted, Cody, to wait and see how how wide this line gets and then maybe just sprinkle on Bobby green a little bit. I, I was, I was watching Adriano Martins before I came to the uh, studio, Adriano Mar- Martins versus Makachev <laughs> yeah. and Makachev is totally yeah. different. Like the way that he entered the pocket in that fight, it's like, he doesn't do that anymore. Like against Dan hooker, he was a lot more reserved waits for the perfect time. Get to those. Once he gets onto your hips, gets you up against the cage I mean, you're pretty much going for a ride. He's so much better at finding those spots these days. But we're, we're looking at a 900, a minus 900 plus 600 
Bobby Green by knockout is going to be like eight, eight to one or so. Like eventually as the week goes along, it may not be crazy. Like MMA sometimes is going to MMA. Do I think Magachev's going to win? Yes. Do I know that he's going to return value at the minus 900? I'm not so sure. So for me, based on the odds, it's a dogger pass. I'm sure that he'll be on your parlay, uh, on your parlay's top ticket. Uh, but Bobby Green offers a very, very easy hedge out at the end of the night. That's where I'm guessing you are. Yeah, man, for sure, for sure. Well, when we got Makachev earlier in the week, like minus 700, that felt like, well, 650, 700, that's as good as it's going to get. I'm a little bit surprised that it has swelled out to minus 900 at this point because now you're completely writing off Bobby Green. And sure, it's an MMA fight. Sure, he's got you know, a couple of tricks up his sleeve, namely his volume. Volume would be the name of the game for him. Bobby Green just throws a hectic, hectic pace. When you look at he, a lot of people think he won the Thiago Moises fight, you and I both included. We both had him bet that night as well. But uh, he gets kind of cheated on the judges' scorecards. His three fights since then, the Rafael Fazeev fight, he lands 143 significant strikes on a very defensively sound fight in Rafael Fazeev. Solid work. Ally Quinta, I mean, he, he hit him 28 times in less than half of a round. Less than half of one single round. It almost landed 30 significant strikes to that point. And then, of course, his last fight against Nazrat Hakpas, career high, 188. So with Makachev, he gets takedowns. We know the guy can wrestle, but he's not super high on punch output. He's not super high on volume. So if Bobby Green can make it, you know, entertaining enough, close enough with stand-up, win some exchanges with a stand-up, try to get some volume going, then even when he does get taken down, you're just hoping that some judge looks at it like, oh, well, Bobby Green landed 20 significant strikes standing, and Makachev got two takedowns, but maybe didn't do enough with it. That, that's what you're looking for. But listen, man, I like Islam Makachev. I like him a lot. You know, he's just like your boy could be Nurmagomedov. I wouldn't say he's going to be 2.0, but he fights a very similar style. And that's a winning style. That's a style that we love. You talk about the fact that he got clipped once upon a time by Adriano Martins. The fight's in like October 2015. When you look at Bobby Green since the same date, October 15, decision against Magomedov, decision against Venata, decision against Coke, decision against Close, decision against Trinaldo, decision against Clay Guida, decision against Venata in the rematch, decision against Alan Patrick, decision against Tiago Moises, decision against Rafael Fazeev, knocks out Ali Quinta. I suppose this guy's a magical power puncher all of a sudden, and then decision over Nazrat Hakparas. So could you clip Islam Makachev? Sure. Is Bobby Green going to be the guy that clip him? I don't know. I don't think so. It's not really a power puncher per se. No. So now let's look at other avenues for Bobby Green. Well, the guy looks like he can fight five rounds because the way he fights three rounds, it seems like there's a lot less in the gas, lot left over in the gas tank for him. But Makachev, to me, proved that in the Thiago Moises fight because that was my only question mark going into that one was it's a five-round fight. It's a scheduled five. So how is he going to be able to – is he like Khabib? Can he just grind at this pace for 10 rounds if he needs to? Is he like a George Champierre? Can he go 15, 20 rounds if he needs to? I don't know. That's his first time, and he dominates the first three and then chokes Moises out in the fourth. Pretty solid work as far as I'm concerned. Wins over Dan Hooker, wins over Drew Dober. That's actually more impressive than any of the wins that, that Bobby Green has picked up. I'll admit his Rafael Fazeev fight's incredibly impressive. He did not win that fight, though. So, honestly, Makachev comes in here. He shoots the takedowns. He shoots them early and often. He gets them on Bobby Green. And I give, he gives him an old-fashioned grinding. He either, you know, softens him up with the ground and pound to find the submission, or he just rinse and repeats over the course of 25 minutes. If you can only do it for three rounds and then go on defense mode, well, that's still probably okay because, again, Bobby Green, not really one of these guys that's going to knock you out. Bobby also just landed 188 two weeks ago. So I'm not saying his hands are sore and this and that, but, like, sure to God, his body's a little bit sore. 
They're gonna they're good dangling a nice little paycheck in front of them. And Bobby Green's a company guy. What's he got to lose? Three fight winning streak. He's doing the UFC a favor. It's a headlining attraction against a guy that's probably gonna challenge for a belt in the foreseeable future. It's all good for business. I just think stylistically it favors Makachev heavily. Oh, here's huge. the last thing I want to throw on there. Yeah, the last thing I want to throw on is Bobby Green took that grappling match against Shane Shapiro right after the Ally Quinta fight prior to the Nazareth Hatcross fight in the UFC Invitational Grappling Tournament. You can watch it on Fight Pass. Shane Shapiro, BJJ Black Belt, and he's also one of the coaches at Syndicate MMA, but he just makes light work of him in like a minute with a knee bar. Like, you got a good realization there that there are levels to this, and Bobby Green, an excellent MMA fighter, but it didn't translate to an excellent grappler. Makachev, one of, one of these guys that, he, he, the way he kimura Dan Hooker in one single round like that, the way he thrashed on Drew Dober opening up the arm triangle, even Thiago Moises is a BJJ black belt and a, and a high-level IBJJF competitor, and he smoked right through him, not smoked right through him, dominates him for three, puts him away in the fourth. Grappling really seems to be good for this guy, and of course he's got big brother Khabib in his corner, so... Uh, nine to one's not a great price tag, but it's not enough for me to just suddenly throw my pick out the window. So you're right. Top ticket material. And at the end of the night would be so easy to put a couple hundred on Bobby green and to make, you know, at that point you could probably make 1200 bucks, you know, like for a $200 bet on Bobby green, like it'd be the easiest hedge out in the world. Right. The line continues to grow. And all I'm saying, all I'm saying is 11. It's a, it's plus 1100 at DraftKings Sportsbook. Green by knockout. If he's going to win, it. I feel like it's a situation where he clips him. He gets the knockout. Like, the longer this fight goes, eventually Islam's going to get him to the ground. And when he gets him to the ground, there's, not, there's pretty much not a man on earth at 155 pounds that's going to do anything to stop that pressure. I'm just saying, if you were going to bet Green 11-1, to 1, it's probably the way to go about it. Let's move on down. We've got a middleweight contest between... Misha Shurkinov and Wellington Terman, minus 120 Shurkinov, plus 100 for Terman. I uh, went back and watched Shurkinov versus Jotko. Wasn't a great performance. I wonder how the weight cut was going down to 185 pounds for the first time in that matchup uh, for Misha. This seems like a pretty good matchup for him, though. Wellington Terman doesn't have like game changing knockout power in his hands. I believe he doesn't even have any like straight flash knockouts on his record in general. Um, wrestling between the two of these guys is probably going to be negated. Terman does throw a little bit more volume. Misha maybe hits a little bit harder. I'm leaning towards Shurkinov, but uh, both of these guys are very, very chinny. It's really interesting that like, but both of them don't, they're taking on an opponent that probably can't exploit it. I actually did parlay with uh, Musasi on the Bellator card. I parlayed the over one and a half in this with Musasi. I think it came out to like plus 128, just a small play. I wanted to get in on Sweet and Sassy Musasi, and uh, I feel like one and a half rounds, even though it's a little bit juiced, juiced to minus 170, um, I feel like that has a pretty good, pretty good chance of hitting in this fight. What, what's your take here? Yeah, I agree. I actually did mind Wellington Termon as an underdog play. Uh, but now I see that the line's kind of evening up a little bit. It was minus 150 Chirkinov, now it's like minus 120 Chirkinov. So yeah, I think people are also recognizing term on dog money, but once you get it to even status, listen, crazy fight could go both ways. Absolutely. It's also not the original opponent for either guy. Wellington term was supposed to fight uh, Rodolfo Vieira. Vieira pulls out of the fight due to medical reasons. So he gets thrown in here against Misha, 
who was scheduled to take on Mahmoud Muradov, right? And both of those guys would have been the B-side to their original opponents, and now they're matched up with each other. You nailed it on the head when you said they're both chinny in the sense that Wellington Termon, I, I will give any man on this planet any weight class. I'll give any animal on this planet a pass on losing by KO to Bruno Silva because the dude just hits oh, yeah. so goddamn hard. For sure. But Andrew Sanchez, come on. Yeah, Sanchez didn't even, have to, he didn't even have to wrestle. No, he didn't even wrestle. And that's like the only thing he's good at. No cardio. Uh, good wrestler. Good wrestler. Yeah, he just, everything he threw hit Termon clean on the button. So... Yeah, I would say he's definitely is a chinny fighter. On the flip side of that, you got Misha Cherkinov. He's been fighting some heavy hitters because he was fighting at 205 pounds. So you give him some passes as well. But knocked out in a minute 11 against Ryan Spann. Knocked out in 36 seconds against Johnny Walker. Knocked out in 245 against Glover Teixeira. Knocked out in 28 seconds against Volkan Uzdemir. No, no, no. He, he's chinny, 100%. Doesn't even matter that he's fighting such good guys. He gets finished so quickly against those good guys. He can't really take a great punch. So you're right. Both guys are chinny. But who'd you give the striking advantage to? I would give it to Wellington Termon. One, he does have the better volume. But he does come from that shoot-to-box background, and he throws a lot of leg kicks. He sits down on the leg kicks. He'll throw them. He'll stand in range. I think he's got a little bit better movement. He's a little more aggressive than Misha. And one thing about Misha Cherkinov is his game has just never developed to a level of, I can strike with guys. He's never been able to strike with guys. No fights in his career and where he's gone out there and put on even a decent striking performance. So this drop down to 185 in the Christoph Jocko fight, it's like, okay, now finally he's not taking on a monster of a man. He, he'll be the monster of a man. How does he do from that, right? Stands in a southpaw stance, and almost everything he does is with his lead right hand. Jabs, he hooks, he paws, he slaps, almost nothing of substance. He'll throw up a head kick every now and again, but it's like kind of herky-jerky. You can kind of see it coming. I just don't see enough out of his striking. In fact, that fight with Christoph Jocko, it's all him backing Jocko up, trying to clinch him and take him down, which he's largely unable to do. When he does take him down, Jocko gets right back up. And when Jocko just pushes him away and separates him, he's not doing much, but the leg kicks to landing and he blitzes him with a hand combination every now and again to keep him honest. When you score that thing, because online, uh, well, even those live tweets going into the third, a lot of people had a 1-1. I did it. You know, I had Misha Jurgenov losing the first two rounds to Christoph Jocko. I thought he lost the third round to Christoph Jocko. I thought he lost 30-27 pretty clean across the board. Wasn't all that competitive to me. And beyond all that, he really did struggle to get his wrestling going. So here's my thing with Wellington Termon. He's got a, that little bit of a striking advantage, but he himself is kind of a bit of a grappler. He likes to force clinches. He likes to throw the guy to the ground. All this and that. Not great at work. But his last fight against Sam Alvey, okay, comes out in the first round all over Sam Alvey, landing the better strikes, backs him up against the cage, scores a takedown over Alvey, which is not exactly an easy thing to do, and he pokes Alvey in the eye. So they give him a warning, fair. Second round, he comes out, kicks the crap out of Sam Alvey, and uh, grazes him in the eye with an eye poke. Now the third round, he comes out, he loses a point due to an eye poke, proceeds to beat on Sam Alvey, loses a second point due to an eye poke. And then still wins the fight. They got it on a split decision because two of the judges had a 30-27, but he lost two points. So greasy fight, but, but there's a minute and a half left. He just lost the second point and he just goes right after Sam Alvey. His cardio looked good and he fought a good pace in that fight. And that's what brings me back to, he's 25 years old. So he's made some struggles in the octagon. He's made some mistakes, but he's actually really, really young and picking up a decent amount of experience. The, the result doesn't look great against Sam Alvey, who's a very limited uh, fighter, by the way. But that's a better version of him that you saw. And in this fight with Misha, even if Misha takes him down and doesn't submit him early, the kid's gas tank's going to be better. His striking's going to be better. I'm not entirely sure that Misha just takes him down whenever he wants. 
And last but not least, dude, this guy trains full time with Glover Teixeira in Connecticut, right? Yeah. He got Big Daddy Glover on him 100% of the time. And Glover's getting ready for a title good- fight. Yeah, dude. And not only that, Glover's game is just so perfectly well-rounded. Like, this kid's going to get the rub off him, first of all. And second of all, everybody and their mother was talking about how good Misha's grappling is. This guy's grappling is next level. You know, he comes out of your breaks, Alex Nicholson's jaw, he gets the submission victory over Jolly. Uh, Low-level shit, by the way. But when he ran into Glover, do you remember that? It was like, oh, dude, Misha's got a better ground game. It's like, oh, no. No, he does not. And Glover got on top of him. It was a full-grown man versus a small child. Non-competitive was an absolute washout, and Glover gets a first-round finish in less, like, less than, it was about like half a round. Half a round, he puts Misha away. Sure to God, he knows this guy inside and out, and he's going to have his prodigy ready to the task. Cardio is the name of the game, and Glover's known for his cardio. He's got a similar striking style to Glover. He actually fights a poor man's version of Glover, but he's only 25 years old. And, and Misha, his birthday is Sunday after the fight, so he'll be 35 years old. Right. So I don't think he's getting any better. In fact, he spends most of his time at Drysdale BJJ, not at Extreme Couture. He's mostly working on his jiu-jitsu. If he picks up a first round sub, great. But have we seen anybody sub Wellington Termon on the first round? Eh, no. So yeah, yeah, I, I got I got Termon. And if for whatever reason I'm I'm gonna have a look at the live betting odds as well. If Trickano fights a good round, maybe does get a takedown, maybe controls him up against the cage, but does not get the first round finish. I'm live betting Wellington Termon because Misha's gas tank's only just going to fall apart. It does in every fight. And the Jocko fight's a perfect he example. He did okay. He gets a takedown in the first, yeah, like the, first, the beginning of the round. The first half of round three against Jocko, it wasn't that bad. Like round so if you th- watch it. Like he, he, he got him down. He had a bit of top control. Around the 250 mark, they get back to their feet. Wasn't ideal, but like, I don't know. I'm not sure. Wellington definitely does have the better cardio. I guess it, it makes sense what you're, where you're coming from. Yeah, I see. I, what I saw in the Misha fight, the, the third round, he comes out, he gets the takedown, he presses him. He's got like a back take almost, right? And he lands a couple knees to the thigh, but he's so concerned on hands around the waist and clinging onto him. He doesn't land anything. It's not striking. He's clinging onto him, hoping this is the end of the fight. And they're mentioning, like, oh, he's going to try to flatten him out here. You know, oh, he's going to try to take his back. He couldn't. This guy is supposed to be next-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He got the position he wanted and actually couldn't do shit with it. So, yeah, I, I, would, I would be personally worried for him. And, again, when you're looking for underdog spots, this is probably going to be close. Could be competitive. Could definitely go either way. Again, plus money on Wellington Termon. That would be my first underdog of this card. That's fair enough. All right, maybe you got another undercard in the uh, in the chamber here. We've got Ji Yun Kim taking on uh, my girl Cab catch a beating Priscilla Cachuera minus one sixty five Kim plus one forty five Cab. Kim has very very long arms, very long very very long reach. Can't wrestle whatsoever. This feels kind of winnable for. For my girl cab. Now that being said, you go back and you watch the Luana Carolina fight. Carolina throws a lot more kicks, I suppose, than uh, than Ji Yoon Kim, but that would probably be a stereotype for how or a, a way that this fight could play out. Catch a beating doesn't get taken down, but still loses because Kim can go. Uh, she can go three rounds, no problem. Her volume is definitely definitely high um my girl cab likes 
blocking blocking punches with her face. The chin checks out for Kim. I'm not. It's dogger pass as far as I'm concerned uh, in this fight. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll lean towards Cab. I'm not betting it. I don't think though. What about you? Okay, so last week we had a great week, but I went 0 for 2 on the women's MMA fights. And looking at the ones in this card, I could see it going the same way. So whatever I say, you don't necessarily have to agree with. But uh, Winnable fight for Cachuera. She's going to come forward. She's going to sling hammers. And that style has actually yielded success against Kim in the past. So you could definitely see it working. If you can back her up, keep her honest, and just you know put the pressure on her throughout. Yeah, it could work, but... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not 100% seeing it. First and foremost, by, by the exact numbers, because they're both five foot seven, right? And Priscilla Cachuera has a 65 inch reach. Judnya and Kim has a 72 inch reach. So yeah, she's Kim got, doesn't she's got hurt, a seven. Doesn't hit hard enough to to get Cab off of her though. Cab's going to be coming yeah. forward, just walking right through those jabs. Right, and Molly McCann, who was giving up a 10 inch reach advantage, had no problems finding the target. Was able to back her up. Was able to walk right through. The, the reach advantage and able to have a lot of success. But I wasn't necessarily all that disappointed with what I saw to Kim. I mean, there was a point where she was a write-off, but let's just talk about her last two. So the Alexa Grasso fight, I thought she looked pretty good. In the first round, she wins the first three, four minutes of the round. Grosso comes back pretty tight in the last minute. Uh, it's a very competitive first round. Second and third round, Grosso takes over, but like you could see something out of her. She's got good striking. She makes good decisions in there. She's got good footwork. She's also like defensively sound, but she did get lit up by Grosso. Uh, she gets an invite right after that from, from the people in Vegas, like Eric Nixick and all them. They're like, you should come down to Las Vegas. We think we could really work with you. And then she gets the Molly McCann fight. Though she loses that fight, she looked career best in my opinion. She landed 122 significant strikes, which is over 42 significant strikes more than her previous best. Her volume was on point. Defensively, she looked pretty good. She scored a knockdown in the first round over Molly McCann. Uh, Cardio looked pretty decent in the third round. It was all a step in the right direction. 32 years old, probably not going to have huge upside here, but moving down to Vegas certainly would help her. With Cachoeira, meanwhile, I went back and I watched the Luana fight just like you did. Why? Because Chayna Dobson fight, it's only 40 seconds. And Gina Mazzani, she's so gassed after four minutes, she's toppling over. Referee stand-up definitely helped Cachoeira there as well. And Jillian Robertson, she just got taken down, tried to eye-gouger and got subbed. How does she look beyond, like, the first round or two? In the Carolina fight, volume just escaped her big time. Her technique is awful, Paul. She's tough. She'll come forward. But, I mean, she just swings wild ass hooks are coming on a straight line doesn't cut off the ring doesn't engage the distance very much and then gases herself out carolina takes over first round's actually competitive second and third round you just see catch completely gas out and, and i would i would like to think that her versus kim kim's going to be trying to matador from the outside not going to have a great deal of success going with it but if she can keep up that volume especially the volume that she had in her last two fights i think eventually she takes over in the fight with catch but of course none of this matters because it's women's MMA, it's a Priscilla Cachoeira fight, and you should probably just spam dog money bets. Pat told us a long time it's ago. Dog. I should have listened. I should have just listened pass, to him. <laughs> right? They're just do- they're all dogger pass situations. All of them. All of them dogger pass situations. So if you're light for underdogs on this card, you could probably do worse than Priscilla Cachoeira. I won't lie. Cab inside the distance is like plus four hundred. I know. I just that I may be something. That, that may be. Barely. Yeah, I know. It's it's pretty. I mean, I did bet her against. You've made money doing. I've it. made money doing I it. Haven't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. Well, it's because you you took like Gina Mazzani at like minus two fifty yeah. against her. 
You got to. Dean was looking good early, man. Just you got to play the up. Pat Mayo special sometimes. It's just <laughs> when in doubt, if it's even remotely close, you just take the dog money. Because who knows? Bad way of doing it. I mean, catch a, uh, Kim just doesn't really have the power. And like, shit, uh, the, 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 the wins that she does have in the yeah, U.S. Yeah. Nadia Castle. <laughs> yeah. Melinda Fabian. Justine Keish, she's, she's in Bellator now, so. And like, awful, and it was another split. And yeah, it was, and she should have lost that fight. So, uh, 100% I wouldn't be laying, I wouldn't be laying the wood with Kim if she ends up on your parlays. I imagine That's she's gonna be right near the bottom. All right, moving on down, we've got I think is the best matchup on the entire card. Armin Sarukian takes on Joel Alvarez minus two twenty five Sarukian plus one eighty five for Alvarez. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, so I think the sky's the limit for Armin Saruki, and I love everything about him. I think he should go out there and put a great performance on. And then, like, my, this is what I do to myself. I always get in my own head. What could go wrong? Where's the issue? And, like, this is the only thing that's kind of caught me bugged out. So his last fight against Christos Chiagos, dude, he looked, well, his last two fights, Matt Frivola, 10 takedowns. <laughs> Matt Frivola's in a room every day with Rob Devashvili and Aljamain Sterling. The guy knows how to wrestle. He just goes out there and ragdolls him. I mean, I thought that was some pretty solid work. And then in his very next fight, he picks up his first stoppage in the UFC with a, with a first-round KO of Christos Chiagos. He partially lands a head kick and then just cup, puts him away with a short little left hook. Tight, good, training full-time at American top team, right? This is a great move for him. He also likes to split some time with Tiger Muay Thai where he trains with Rafael Fiziev. So he, he's unable to get a visa for like the last eight weeks. So he abandoned camp at American top team for this fight and has done it in Russia. Uh, James Lynch did a pretty good interview with him. I suggest you go check it out if you would like to. Uh, and, and straight up, James is just like, well, who's your head coach? And he's like, oh, his name's Sergey. Uh, he's good. He's good. He's from my hometown. He's like, well, who are some of your training partners? And he's like, uh, oh, nobody that fights on like outside of Russia, but like a couple good up and comers. But, but it's my hometown. I feel good. I'm eating well. It's like, ah, oh, shit, dude. I like him in ATT. I like him in a room with the best guys in the world. And I bet you this room in Russia is tough. I bet you it's tough. No room in Russia, unless it's in Sochi, Russia, is easy work. It's not. So you know he's going to be good. It's like it's just what, that little what, bit of extra confidence you want. Why are you like, throwing shade at Sochi, of all places? I just wanted to, before you continue, because you said, except for Sochi. Yeah, okay, yeah. So Sochi and Moscow. If the guy's fighting out of Sochi, Russia, or Moscow, Russia, it's the city, right? They're not from Chechnya. They're not from Dagestan. They're Sochi not from, is nowhere uh, near Moscow. No, it's not. It's not. But Moscow is a large metropolitan city in Russia, right? Which it would be like would, you're basically the city, saying right? that they're, Sochi, they're like they're probably Sochi, more like I'm striking told. based, not like heathen wrestlers. No, it's the difference between like country boys and like privileged city kid. Paul, you were a city. You grew up a city kid, so I can't. I can't throw much, too much shade here. But not really. I, I'm more of like more of the burbs. I grew up in the Burbs. The Burbs. Yeah, you're from Oshawa. You're blue collar as hell. What am yeah. I talking about? I'm gonna drop an F bomb there. Real Oshawa style, but I didn't are, want are to. Are we allowed to say the S word for your version. for your TV network? Because I dropped one, you dropped one. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I think F bombs and like just F bombs. No F bombs. Okay. So so far F- so yeah, far so good. Right. Use your best judgment, I suppose. Yeah. Uh yeah, yeah. Okay, Sochi, I'm told. I've never been there, but my late great friend uh, Tim Hag had been there. It's like it's like the Miami of Russia. Like they got beaches there. It's like warm weather. It's the city, man. It's like a vacation destination inside okay, of Russia. Soft. 
They're soft, man. You want to go to Ignushechnia, right? Those are the places you want to go. The mountains where these guys are just like, there's quite literally nothing to do other than beat somebody up. So that's what I'm going to go ahead and go do. There's no arts and crafts program offered at the local university. Give your head a shake, Paul. So yeah, Saruki and being in Russia, whatever. It's, it's not going to be a bad look, right? It's just that I have a lot of respect for Joel Alvarez and what he's able to do. And I'd like to know that Saruki is at the top of his game because the takedowns are going to be there day in, day out. But Alvarez is going to be throwing up a lot of submissions and Saruki has got to be on top of his game. At ATT, you know, there's a ton of BJJ world champions in the room with you. They're going to be testing you. You're going to be working on that grappling. Over in Russia, you're the top dog. You're the best guy in your small little camp in your hometown. Well, they're not going to give you what Joel Alvarez might give you. Speaking of the takedowns, though, it's fine with Danilo Beluardo. He gives up two real easy takedowns, but does submit or but does that ground and pound him in the second. Joe Duffy, I think he gave the takedown to Joe Duffy to set up the guillotine choke. He loves still, doing. He just that. kind of flopped it over. He does, yeah. It's, it's one of his setup tricks. It just I don't think you want to pull guillotine against Armin Saruk. No, unless you really got it, dude. The Yakovlev fight again. He gets taken down and then he throws up an armbar. It's great work. I don't necessarily know that you want to play with your food on the ground with Joel Alvarez. He's good but he's giving them all up. And then Thiago Moises, what a bad game plan from Thiago Moises. Didn't even shoot a takedown. This guy's a BJJ black belt, former world champion. Why, why would you not take him down and just neutralize his ground game? No, instead he allowed himself to stay to the outside. And Alvarez has been working on his striking, dude. Those are some nasty elbows. He just busts his head open like a pumpkin and then the referee stops the fight. So I like what I see out of Joel Alvarez, but he's got a lot of these fights that are second round against Beloardo, first round against Duffy, first round against Yakovlev, first round against Moises. Well, and so we know he can fight for a round, but can he fight hard for three? Because I know Sarukian can, and the, the takedowns are going to be Sarukian's way. Sarukian, has he ever been submitted? Not to my knowledge. I mean, man, I, I went rounds against Islam Makachev. I went back and watched yeah, no, the, got, the Davi yeah, Ramos fight. That's a pretty ADCC interesting yeah, right. fight for how is his submission defense. Now, he only goes, he only took him down once, and it was at the beginning of round one, but when he does do it, he stayed completely out of trouble and was landing some really good strikes from top position. And then yeah. rounds two and three, he was like, I can just dance around the outside. This guy can't cut off the angles on me. And he, you know, he tripled him up basically in strikes. Um, he just really, if, if he does go in for those takedowns, he's really got to be careful with his head, head placement as he shoots into the hips against Alvarez. Because Alvarez sets up that guillotine so so nice on top of it alvarez is six like six foot three he's missed weight the last two times he came in at 157 and a half last time out 159 and a half the time before i mean he's he's basically a catchweight fighter at this point we'll see i i, I think you should definitely wait for weigh-ins on this one but um I think Sarukin should be able to like dance around him, land. The speed should be a massive advantage for him. But we're dealing with a six foot three fighter versus a five foot seven fighter here. Um, if you want to get on Alvarez, I think you get on him now because once people see them standing next to each other at the weigh-ins, I imagine there's going to be some late dog money. If you want to bet Sarukian, I think we're going to get a better price later in the week. I, my pick is Sarukian by decision. I think he does mind his P's and Q's. I think he lands the more effective strikes. Um, somebody else brought up that Alvarez's striking looked really, really improved, and I kind of agree with that. But Michael Johnson against Tiago Moises yeah, outstruck yeah. him like 25 to 1 in round one. 
Like, people forget about that. They see the second round submission, but it's like Michael Johnson put on a damn clinic in round one against him. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't read it and do it too much. I still think Armin's the better striker. He's going to have to mind his P's and Q's entering the pocket. When he does take him down, just head position. Head position is everything, but he's already showed that against Davi Ramos. Like, he knew all of the ways that he could get himself in trouble and avoided all of it. So, Sarukian by decision for me. What's what's your final pick? Yeah, I would go with Sarukian by decision as well. Use the wrestling to either put him down when you want or just, yeah, neutralize him. Keep the fight standing, back him up, land the combination. So, I think we're uh, pretty much on the same page. But he won't be he won't be top ticket or top second ticket likely because yeah there's just that little bit of hesitancy yeah. about him taking we, on a, a crafty enough guy in Alvarez. Oh, by the way, oh, here's yeah, the last we, thing we, I want to throw we, out. We respect Alvarez. We think he's very very good. At yeah, this and price, at this price the, right now, I would probably take Alvarez if I was going to bet it. But I think later in the week we will get a better price on Armin because it's been moving yeah, that way. It opened up at like minus 300 and it's been creeping right. down over the course of the week and you mentioned joel alvarez misweighed his last two fights and sarukin actually misweighed two fights against matt frivola at 57 right so i mean yeah maybe you want to watch the wins maybe yeah. you want to just be 100 percent sure what you're uh, getting yourself into all right we got gregory robocop rodriguez taking on armin petrosian not that armin petrosian not Giorgio petrosian's brother completely different guy uh rodriguez is a minus 160 favorite petrosian could be had for plus 140 we've learned or we've been told and he actually showed it in his last fight out there that you know that we've got a bjj black belt on our hands but he seems to really like to bang on his feet um gregory rodriguez obviously last time out against jung young park there's two takedowns. There's one, like, I believe it's in round one. And then there's, like, a beautiful, beautiful judo hip toss in round two. And the, the positional control and stuff on top position looked legit. This guy's supposed to be a legitimate black belt. His chin is definitely a little bit questionable. But I have questions about uh, Armin Petrosian's chin as well. He was, like, knocked out in 34 seconds by some very mediocre uh, European-level fighter. Um, I forget the name off the top of my head. If you're Gregory Rodriguez, the path of least resistance in this fight is take this guy who is a kickboxer, but not an accredited. He's not a, he's not Giorgio Petrosian's brother. So he's not, we're not talking about that level of kickboxing. Um, take him down and, and use your size strength. This guy's absolutely massive. Gregory Rodriguez, take him down, control him, find the sub. I threw a little sprinkle because I was worried that the number is going to get away from me. Rodriguez by submission, plus 400. I feel like if he has a smart corner, a smart team behind him, we're not testing our own chin, which he got rocked against Jung Young Park uh, last time out. Like it was, it was dicey until he finished, like he finished the Iron Turtle. He was the first guy to ever knock him out. So obviously he's got some power in his hands, but like it was getting... Real, real, real dicey there in round two. So um, take this guy down. Take him down immediately. Do not let him hit your chin. Find the submission. You should be able to take care of business. Uh, what's your take here? 
Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of easier said than done. I'm going to take the underdog here, Armin Petrosian, plus 140. I think he's got a good chance. He's got a good chance of finding the chin and knocking him out, 100%. You mentioned that he's not uh, Giorgio, the surgeon's brother, but that that's fine. This guy's actually got really good striking. Uh, he's very opportunistic, likes to sit down on that right hook, got a really good leg kick, almost like he's kicking a soccer ball, but it's quick, it's snappy, likes to put pressure on guys. There's a lot that you could like about his game, right? So let's look at his, say, his last fight on The Ultimate Fighter, right? He's taking on this Kal- Kaloyan Kolev. Now, he's coming from a pure Muay Thai background. And Kolev's like a Bulgarian wrestling powerhouse. Like, he's a big, yeah, strong wrestler. fought so, nobody. Fought total absolutely. cans, total cans. Absolutely. And I'm leading up to that. Total cans, 100%. 100%, he's just a really strong Bulgarian guy that had fought limited opposition. And with Petrosians, like, he's just a Muay Thai guy from Armenia. He's going to get beat up. But there's actually two different types of Armenian people, right? The ones that come to California and go to Glendale and make nothing of their careers and the ones that go to Russia and become absolute badasses. And this Petrosian decided to do that. He actually trains full-time out of Dagestan and he's been working a lot on his wrestling. So you watch that Kolev fight. Kolev does take him down three times, but I was massively like impressed with his getup game, dude. He fights the wrist. He fights the bicep. He creates space. He circles out. He pushes you away. Another takedown pops right back up. He just wore on him, and every small chance he had to throw strikes, he bombed on Kolev. Kolev eventually just couldn't take it, succumbs from it, falls over. But it was like, God damn, dude's 31 years old. He's long, he's rangy, he hits like an absolute hammer, and he's clearly worked very heavily on his grappling game. Gregory Rodriguez, oh yeah, and by the way, here's the real kicker. Those fights are all at 205 pounds. He got knocked out that time you mentioned at 205. He fought Kolev on the Ultimate Fighter, or on Contenders at 205. This is 185. Dude's going to be a monster. He's going to be huge at he's 185. He's not going to be that much. Mo- already. Go he's ahead. He's taking on Gregory Rodriguez, who's six foot. Like, they're a. Gregory Rodriguez is an inch taller than him. And have you seen Gregory Rodriguez? So jacked. Like, you Don't literally like can't put yeah, more yeah. muscle on a 185 pound frame. Right. But what I'm seeing in my head here is that Kolev's a big, strong, physical Bulgarian guy at 205 pounds and was not able to really get him down with any much success. The guy looked like he'd been working a lot on his on his grappling, predominantly his takedown defense. So with Rodriguez, you're 100% right in that Rodriguez needs to get the takedowns early and often. But he did in his last fight. He was able to go out there against Jung Young Park and get a takedown. In fact, he gets a back take off it. And Park survives and Park gets back up. And there becomes the next critical problem about Rodriguez. Instead of just pursuing the takedowns again, he just stood there and banged with him, man. He got clipped by a short left hook that rocked him. Park fought the world's stupidest game plan. He's giving up reach, and he's just throwing rock'em, sock'em robots two inches too far from Rodriguez. So Rodriguez is him. He's actually not connecting on Rodriguez. But the dude just reverted to, to just striking. And he then he gets a takedown. He gets the takedown he wants. And Park just gets right back up again. And then Park just rushes right at him recklessly and gets himself knocked out. It was a terrible fight for Park, terrible game plan. But there's no denying that Rodriguez's cardio looked iffy, his chinny looked iffy. And when the fight did hit the ground and he got the back take and he got all of his favorite positions, he didn't do anything. I'm with not it. convinced that Petrosian's going to be able to do then anything. Then he goes on. He like, I, goes I, I on think UFC's- that the Iron Turtle is a better grappler than what I've seen from Petrosian here. Okay. So, so after he beats Jung Yun Park, right, he takes on Joe Selecki in a grappling match in the UFC's fight pass invitational to a draw. Okay. Joe Selecki fights in the UFC at 155 pounds. Okay. Then he fights Cody Steele, 
Cody Seals won and in MMA. He is a very good grappler in his own right. And he generally fights at about 155 to 170 pounds. Not able to finish those guys. He's not some world-class Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. He's just a big guy. He's a black big, belt. physically strong guy. Right, right. Armin Petrosian, didn't matter if he's a black belt or not. He just needs to create space, back away. And when he clips him, he's not an idiot like Jung Young Park. He's not going to miss on the follow-up shots. He's going to sleep him. So... I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't feel confident in the slightest bit if Petrosian was the favorite. I would. I would. So this is a dogger pass fight. It's going to get greasy. It could go either way. Shoey. And I'm going to have the underdog in this one spot. So I'll back to plus 140 Are we going to shoey bet this one or what? You want to shoey bet this one? Yeah, we'll shoey bet this one. Shoey Why not? You got, uh, you got Robocop, Gregory I... Rodriguez, and I'll take it's... Armin Petrosian. Fighting in a Dagestan. You're it's you're wow. You turn your back on Makachev in the main event saying you don't like nine to one. Are you kidding me, man? <laughs> no, I just back, think, uh, back I think up left, on Armin Petrosian. Maybe maybe one out of ten times Bobby Green clips him. Maybe, maybe not. Um we'll see where that line goes as the week goes on. But uh, it's very rare that I get the I get the chalk in our shoey bet. So I'm pretty fired up about that. Uh, moving well, on down, we got enjoy it while you can. Moving on down, we've got Ignacio Bahamondes taking on Rong Zhu. Uh, Bahamondes is a minus 210 favorite. Rong Zhu can be had for plus 175. Bahamondes, last time out, uh, he there, there was a lot to like from that fight. Obviously, everyone's going to remember the five seconds left in the fight, spinning back kick that put Roosevelt Roberts just into another dimension. Don't Or uh, the wheel kick, sorry. Put him into another dimension, but he stopped 12 takedowns during that fight. He's obviously incredibly massive for 155 pounds. I had faded uh, Rongju against uh, Rodrigo Vargas in his UFC debut. I thought that Vargas would be able to exploit his grappling deficiencies. Rongju comes out in his next fight and, uh, and gets the dub against Brandon Jenkins, who came in on, like, ridiculously short notice. Utilized his wrestling. The wrestling looked pretty good when he's able to get top position. But based on what I saw from Bahamondes against Roosevelt Roberts, who wasn't exactly entering the puck or entering for those takedowns all that well, but the fact that he was able to shook him off 12 times for those takedowns. This stays on the feet. I like Bahamondes quite a bit. Minus 210, I think we're... Probably around pretty fair here. Um, but I think uh, Baja Mendez by decision may be worth a look. And hopefully he doesn't get a spinning back kick knockout in the last five seconds. But uh, yeah, Baja Mendez by decision. I haven't bet it yet. It's something I want to talk through with you first, see where your head was at. But uh, plus 150 DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, and it seems to be climbing a little bit across the market so there's no rush to jump on it right now what's your take here yeah baja mondas uh, i was the guy that was holding a baja mondas by decision ticket and five seconds left and he wheel oh, kicked dude. him in the face so yeah. thanks a lot for that no i mean he, he looked good i think he looked career best but he's still only 24 and he still makes a lot of mistakes so what i like about him is his pressure and his volume game he just seemingly just keeps throwing throwing his last two fights Alone, well, you saw in the Roosevelt Roberts fight, he comes out there, he lands 105 significant strikes to fight prior against John McDessie, which he lost. He lands 112. He's only going to be getting better and better. And again, with this kind of volume and his stature, six foot three at this weight class, he he's going to fill up his frame and he's going to be a problem. The other thing with being six foot three and being this large is I think that is 
a big part of his takedown defense. He's big. He's big and he's hard to take down. Edson Gomez had tried 0 for 5 on a contender series. John McJustin never that shot one. Yeah. Rosal Roberts, say it again? That Gomez guy was like basically a taxi driver, though. Like, I don't know where they found that schmuck. It was awful. Absolutely awful. And no good, right? He tried to pull the fight to the ground. It just wasn't going to happen. And Roosevelt Roberts, you're right. He goes 0 for 12, but his wrestling looks soft. It looked really weak. He never dropped levels. He never drove through. It was mostly just like push him up against the cage and like try to flick him to the ground. He did clasp his hands a couple times. But it's hard to get Bahamanas off his feet because he's just got so much leg to him. So all of that results in a problem, right? But at the same time, uh, John McDessie's what five foot seven, so he's given up like eight eight inches in the height department to, mm-hmm. to Bahamanas, and he touched him up whenever he wanted. And Roosevelt Roberts with his jab, especially in the first round, that jab it, it, it never missed, right? Mm-hmm. So he doesn't fight the most defensively sound. He is in your face, and I guess at minus two ten, my worries are that Zurong does crack pretty hard, and I think he'll just throw one or two and then try to pursue the takedown. He seems to be living by the takedown. His initial fight with uh, Vargas, he did score three takedowns. The problem is, is that he, he stared at him. He got caught in the bright lights, man. He was just staring at Kazula Vargas and didn't throw anything. Vargas triples him up on the striking numbers, beats him. His next fight with Brandon Jenkins, he looked so much better, man, so much more comfortable. Six takedowns, uh, doubled up Brandon Jenkins on the striking numbers, uh, scored a knockdown, mostly Jenkins being an idiot. Jenkins threw two spitting back fists. One of them got him dropped. The other one, he just fell to the floor and allowed yeah. Zurong to get on top. So Jenkins fought like a short notice, bad fighter, and it allows Zurong to look good. Bahamandes is probably not going to give him those opportunities. He's not going to throw stupid techniques, although he could still spin and throw something. Mm-hmm. But I think he's just going to mine his P's and Q's, stay to the outside, and chop him away with, uh, with the leg kicks and the, the superior volume. Rong's at American top team now, and he's only 21 years old. This kid likely does have a very bright future, but because he's still only 21 now, I don't know that I could trust him now. Baja Mondes, when I watched him against Macdessi, I was like, oh, this kid's way too green, but he's super young as well. They're going to get better, and he, he, he appears to be getting better. Rong appears to be getting better. I think Baja Mondes at this stage is just a little more developed and should get the victory. But at minus 210, that's not a reflection of how fight, close this fight is likely going to be. And your assessment of decision, I think, is very accurate. So if you've got a close competitive decision, does minus 210 feel great? No. But that's why you're going to improve the Bahamanas by taking Bahamanas by decision. And that I do agree with, Paul. So I got the same pick. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on the NBA with same-game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Bet just $1 on any pro basketball team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code DOP at DraftKings Sportsbook. We got Josiane Nunez taking on Ramona Pasquale. Minus 220 Nunez, plus 180 Pasquale. I remember watching uh, Pasquale on at Invicta, her last fight against Shamir Pashewa. And then I rewatched <laughs> it again. My God, man. Like, that is not, yeah, yeah. That is not UFC level. Um, a lot of her other fights, I, I, in fairness, I haven't actually seen them. 
Um, she looked great in that spot, but like Shamir Pashua comes into the UFC and she gets absolutely flatlined by everyone. Josie Ann Nunez is like five foot two bantam weights. She's very, very small. She's obviously super, super stocky. She kind of reminds me of like, of like female Lineker. She's like moving forward, just hammering chest. I, I don't know if she's got that Lineker chin. But uh, she's super, super aggressive. And that's the reason why you have a women's MMA fight lined at over one and a half rounds, minus 130, under plus 100. Like, they're expecting the bodies to hit the floor in this fight. I like Nunez to win. I think the, uh, the level of pressure, power that she brings to the table, if she can maintain that pace that she had against Bia Malecki, I think she's going to pose a lot of problems for people that won't be able to take her down. Um, I didn't see all that much from Pasquale in in the limited tape I did watch of her. Uh, I mean, it was against, yeah, the Pashua. That's just like, I don't know what to really read from this. Like, she should be winning this fight. Um, I didn't really take very much away from it. It'll be very interesting, too, because I believe Pasquale, she started fighting when she was 27 years old. She's 33 now. Um, and she hasn't made bantamweight since 2019. So that should definitely, uh, you know, take note of that as well, because we'll see how easy the weight cut is for her at this stage of her life. Um Nunez for me, but like the Nunez by knockout prop is like plus 100. Like the, the books are very, very savvy to the fact that this is a, you know, a high finish rate type of uh, women's MMA match. So I'm probably going to avoid the situation altogether. What's your take here? Yeah, honestly, I had never heard of Ramona Pasquale until her last fight as well against Shamir. And a buddy of mine hit me up being like, it's free money, take it. So we did. I researched her for then. And yeah, she's just got a very strange story. Like like you wow, well, okay, so first of all, she's from Hong Kong. And she's like the first women's fighter from Hong Kong. So she's like a big star over there. They run tons of articles about her. But she attends university in like LA and then goes back to Hong Kong, gets into martial arts training later on in life takes her first fight literally months after she began training and wins her first two fights, like handpicked opponents, Jennifer Lay Norris. She gets armbar in the third round. She fights Janae Harding. Well, Janae Harding, we would later see in Bellator, right? And, you know, someone, Eugene Behrman's like cousin or something. So gets good training in. Uh, she looked out of it, man. She shot some bum takedowns, wasn't able to get the fight to the ground, flopped over. Janae Harding starts smashing her with elbows. She curls up. Janae Harding takes him out, ground and pounds her. That's it. So at that point, she rebounds against an O and O opponent and then leaves MMA and goes to like Phuket. She starts training at Phuket top team and just takes a run of really low level um, Muay Thai fights. She switches to Muay Thai, builds up this Muay Thai resume. At some point she gets back in MMA beating a four, five, a four and five opponent and then an O and O opponent. And then she was supposed to fight Courtney King on that Invicta card. Courtney King would have been a problem for her or at least more problems than Shamir Peshewa. But Pache was a business owner, takes a fight on like two days, shows up, gets beat up the way you would expect her to. Bad look. Like, oh, man, she's 33 years old. She is she does train at Syndicate MMA, but she's only been at Syndicate MMA for about a year. I mean, prior to that, she was training exclusively in Hong Kong. And basically, she would split times between 
Thailand where she would do some uh, train Muay Thai training and then Hong Kong where she has like a small little jujitsu academy. So I just don't really think she's all that good. And then with Josiane Nunes, a couple of good things going for her. So she's initially supposed to take on Yanan Wu, right? Wu pulls out and she gets Jennifer Gonzalez. Jennifer Gonzalez pulls out and Ramona Pasquale. Now you need somebody on a week's notice who's local to the Las Vegas area. Ain't this some shit? She trains at Syndicate MMA. She's moving up a weight class to take the fight. She's just there. She's just the warm body that happens to be there. There's nothing deserving about her necessarily being in the spot. They just need somebody, and she's got her hand in the air. And with Josiane Nunes, dude, five foot two, if this girl can keep the pace up, she's going to be a problem for mm-hmm. a lot of people. She's got a nuclear left hand, dude. Like, she's got no neck to her. Her head is basically, like, at the top of her shoulders, and then her arms are on a high guard, and she lines you she's up with a bullet of a left hand. inch reach somehow for that small frame, too. Mm-hmm. So her arms she's are just, like, na- unnaturally long for... And she has no yeah, jab, and she's not she looking actually, to believe, establish a jab. According to Tapology, because Pasquale doesn't have official stats, according to Tapology, she's got a reach. Uh, she's got a one-inch reach advantage here as well, which is insane. Yeah, which is insane. And the way she fights, it's like reach advantages aren't going to matter because she just kills the entire gap right away. I mean, she herself just enters the pocket and throws, but mm-hmm. in a small cage, it's hard to get away. And running from her would be very tiring because backpedaling is just very tiring in its own. You look at her wins, first round knockout, second round knockout, second round knockout, second round knockout, UFC debut against Bia Malecki. She's giving up seven inches of height and reach. And it does not matter. And she folds Bia Malecki, who is supposed to be a European uh, Muay Thai champion, like made her look silly and bombed on her. But that's kind of what she does. It's her style. She's able to do that. So for whatever reason, Pasquale, let's say, was able to survive a couple rounds. Am I for certain that Josiane Nunez can keep up that pace? No. Do I anticipate with that style that she would get tired? Sure. But she also might be a poor version of Jessica Andrade, who can just keep coming at you and throwing. John Lineker, they can keep coming at you and throwing. Like it, Sometimes it seems reckless, but it's their style, and they make it work. Bia Malecki is a better striker than Ramona Pasquale. Bia Malecki, they're both very inexperienced, but it's probably similar level. And she absolutely toasted her. The fight before that, which you can watch against Quizia Zabonic, again, it's a 4-0 prospect. Before that, Diona Barbosa, 3-0 prospect. But she just, she, she melts right through them as well. There's a lot that you could like about this girl. Taking a fight against her on short notice doesn't seem like the, the best avenue. But, uh, with a current line of minus 220, Josiane Nunez, the only thing keeping me from heavily investing in it, can you guess it, Paul? Women's MMA, because ain't that a bitch gets me every time. Gets me every time. I have a, I have a bad streak betting women's MMA because what I think is going to happen doesn't, doesn't. So I, I am taking Josiane Nunez. I think she backs her up. I think she has a lot of success. If she gets the knockout, great. If not, she'll win on the scorecards. But uh, the old W... Right before the MMA usually uh, ruins my day. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about her by knockout. But yeah, it's, it's already minus 110 at DraftKings Sportsbook. Do I think that that's how it plays out? Yeah, but I was hoping for a little plus money on on that action. And uh, they're, they're pretty wise to it uh, across the board right now. All right, moving on down. We've got Ferez Zayam taking on Terrence McKinney. Minus 120 Zayam plus 100 McKinney. Who you got here, buddy? 
Yeah, I honestly thought Terrence McKinney would probably be the favorite when the fight got announced. And I'm thinking dog or pass situation, probably throw a couple bucks on Francis IM. And then when the line got open, it was pretty much even. And it sat pretty much about even the entire time. So I don't think anybody can get a really strong lean either way. And it's tough to get. Terrence McKinney at his best, super explosive, super dynamic, capable of great things. There's just a lot of question marks in his game. I mean, I mean, we'll go back to what's relevant about him, right? So he finished seven-second win, Bobby McIntyre, first-round submission, Sharon Spain, 43-second submission. Then he gets his contender series fight against Sean Woodson. This dude, McKinney's super explosive, man. He has wrestled. He's got an excellent entry, good blast double leg. He puts Sean Woodson, the boxer, on his back and does a really good job in the first round. In the second round, he completely gasses out, man. Mm-hmm. Like, he's done in there. And he just – Woodson's so tall, it's a step-in knee right up the gut. The counter is a flying knee and just knocks out McKinney. Tough goes. Very next fight against Derek Minner. He gets the easy money takedown right into a triangle choke, 57 seconds in the first round. The very next fight against Derek Sanders, 16 seconds. Next fight against Tonino Gavino, 17 seconds. Next fight against Michael Ortiz, a minute and 12. And then his debut against Matt Favola, who's known to be chinny, in seven seconds. So he, he, he's not jumping off the cage. Yeah, and then you haven't seen him since then. So, but but he hasn't fought beyond two minutes since the Sean Woodson fight. And he's shown a ton of dynamic power and great wrestling and, and just great athleticism. We know he has that. We know he can do that. But I I, I would think that old habits are going to form. Like if he doesn't just go out there and get a quick victory, it's, he's probably going to get tired. That type of movement, that type of explosiveness, that fast twitch muscle, it's not usually for guys that can grind for 15 hard minutes. And I'm kind of thinking he falls into the same category. Fran Zion, meanwhile, because I'm thinking, well, what if he gets quick, quickly submitted? Well, he shows a loss to Haushin Wu by submission and a one to Viscon Magomedov. So he's 19 years old in those fights. He's just like a little kid, man. And since then, the dude's done an excellent job of just shoring up his game. He's another French fighter that spends a lot of time out of Bulgarian top team, working with a lot of stout wrestlers. And you do see his wrestling game kind of getting a little bit better. The fight with Don Madge, at least he shows some durability. It was striker versus striker. Madge ended up having a better ground game than expected. But his fight with Jamie Malarkey, I scored it for Malarkey, by the way. Dude, Malarkey gets takedowns all day, and Zion makes some work, makes some work, good up game, stuffs the takedowns. Whenever he creates space, he's an infinitely better striker than Jamie Malarkey, who I'm actually very fond of. His next fight with Luigi Vendramini, he looks as good as good can get for the first two. He's minding his P's and Q's. He, he doesn't, he's not aggressive. He doesn't push the issue. He doesn't look for the big shot. Everything he does is very lackadaisical. I don't love that about guys. But he seems very much in control. He wins the first two. And then the third round, oh, shit, dude. He gets dropped. He gets taken down. He gets dominated bad by Luigi Vendramini. And now you get this fight. So my problem with Zayam is the fight with Jamie Malarkey, he looks good in the third round. Cardio's on point. The fight with Vendramini, he's tired in the third round and he's hurt, right? What version am I going to get? Because I need the version that's got a deep cardio. Because the version with a deep cardio probably gets taken down by McKinney early. McKinney's going to try to submit him. He's going to try to land some ground and pound. But if he doesn't finish Zayam in the first round, and Zion can come out fresh in the second, keep this fight standing. He's gonna he's gonna chop him away. He's gonna chop him away, and I think he's gonna clip him with something at some point. But this is probably a much better fight to just bet live because if Zion gets beat up bad in the first round but doesn't get finished, you're gonna get a big plus money tag on him, and he's still gonna be live. McKinney's gas tank is a problem, but I'm not also super fast to run and and bet against McKinney because let's be real, dude. The dude's got dynamite. Like he could finish you at any point. He could make some magic happen, and he is well rounded. But the problem with being well-rounded is you can have wrestling and you can have striking. 
the guy's submission defense definitely needs some work, but, but cardio, cardio is the biggest like proponent of the game. You can't be well-rounded without that one thing. And I don't think he's got it. So I'm not sure you want to pass on this one. I'm not sure as I am either though, from that Benjamini fight in round three. Could be right, dude. Especially if it's a high paced fight, Terrence McKinney comes out. Absolutely. Uh, just gets after it from the opening bell as he did against Favola, as he has in a lot of his fights, as you went through every single one of them uh, earlier on in his career. I grabbed the the early under on this one, under two and a half rounds, minus 123. I see it's like minus 150, yeah, minus 165 in a bunch of spots. I'm trying to figure out the other ways to get into it. My big qu- my big question is that maybe Zayam's not exactly like a potent finisher. That is a bit of a concern for me. Um, I could definitely see Zayem winning a decision in this fight. That's how I lose my under two and a half rounds. But if McKinney keeps the the pace that we see early in his fights, like there's a reason why I had so much money on him against Matt Frivola last time out. It's like this guy's all action until he dies or or his opponent dies. Um, I'll lean towards McKinney just from absolute just maniac violence early on but as i said i'm on the under two and a half rounds minus 123 earlier in the week it's getting juiced up to yeah like minus 150 minus 165 right now don't love it nearly as much at that price but uh i may add something else to the under one and a half rounds because mckinney i i earmarked him coming into the ufc is just a guy who is going to be a all action early unders guy just jammed as much as i could at uh, fight doesn't go to decision under two and a half rounds under one and a half rounds and the fight was over in seven seconds i you know gave myself a little bit of a pat on the back there but i could totally see you know the under not coming into play here if Zayam just is able to maintain range and uh and pick them apart from from range all right moving on down we've got jin yu frey taking on hannah goldie minus 180 uh frey plus 155 goldie i'm not sure if this is on fight pass cody but this fight puts the it puts the pass in fight pass uh do you have a hot take here because i don't <laughs> yeah there's just really no world that exists that i want to bet genu frey at minus 180 like i can see her winning this fight on the basis of she looked a lot better in her last one against ashley yotter and uh she's on a two fight winning streak for the first time in five years so maybe ever so slightly at age 36 genu frey is putting it together but yeah, my biggest issue with her throughout the entirety of her career is super low output. Like, she just doesn't throw enough standing. It's very, very low. And how are you going to win a fight if you're just not landing anything? So, you look at her first couple of UFC fights. Her fight with Kay Hansen, she lands 26. Her fight with Loka Bume, she lands 26. Her fight with Gloria DePaola, she lands 24. That last fight with Yodder, she landed 88 significant strikes. It's actually more significant strikes in one fight than she had previously landed in a, in a full three-fight UFC run. So... I think she probably got the memo at some point. I need to let my hands go. Is a good striker, needs more volume. On top of that, the Gloria Padalo fight, uh, DePaula fight, sorry. She takes her down twice. And when she's on top, she picked a pretty good top game. Like her, her husband, uh, Doug Frey, for the longest time, you know, he, he's a BJJ black belt out of Texas. You know, this girl's well equipped to use grappling. It just has to be the right opponents. And when they give her these low level opponents, she can make it work. That's what I see against Hannah Goldie. Hannah Goldie's got better volume, right? From the fights that we've seen from her, she's capable of going out there and putting up numbers. The technique leads something to be desired. She has a 61-inch reach. So, I mean, she comes up short on a lot of these punches. But, of course, on the contender series, she landed 141 against Callie Robbins. Okay, that's good. Loses to Miranda Granger, not so good. Loses to Dana Balbita, 
probably not so good. And the fight with Emily Whitmire, she throws up a, an arm bar from guard, which is something that's known to happen in women's MMA, Paul. But here's the problem with that Whitmire fight is that takedown that Whitmire got with, but she actually took her down twice. Like she just fell right over. She has absolutely no takedown defense and standing she's wild and reckless and just with volume. Jinyu Frey is a better striker, more tight, more technical. Her volume appears to be heading in the right direction. So she'll be able to keep it competitive enough. But she just needs that takedown. Yeah, that takedown will be there. Be way Frey. better. And once she gets the takedown, it's not going to be an armbar from guard, right? The armbar from guard is not going to be there. It's going to be her pressing down on her, holding her down, and quietly banking in rounds. And that's the way Jin Frey has been winning lately. She just banks these rounds by just doing staying a little bit ahead of the opponent. And, and I honestly think that's how it's going to play out here as well. But again, I sound like a broken record because there's a lot of women's MMA fights on this card. But could it go south? Of course it could go south. And it's minus 180 for Jin Frey. Like, give me a break. But, but that, that is the pick, Paul. That, that actually is the pick. Yeah, it's the pick for me too, but I'm not touching it at minus 180. Let's just move on at this point. Uh, Jonathan Martinez takes on Alejandro Perez, minus 240 Martinez, plus 195 for who I like to call the weasel, Alejandro Perez. Uh, check out his weigh-ins because he's always up to some sort of antics trying to get into his opponent's head uh, in every single one of his fights. Um, I feel like initial reaction to this one, is this seems a little bit wide for Jonathan Martinez. What what do you think about that? Yeah, well, I got mixed feelings on it as well. Like, on one hand, it does feel a little bit wide for Jonathan Martinez, but why, what's there to not to like about Jonathan Martinez? And it comes down to that Davy Grant fight. Because outside of that, kids look good, man. I mean, the Andre Ewell fight, robbery, right? He loses a split decision, but he outlands him. He backs him up. He should have won the fight. Is what it is. Texas judges can't trust him especially that UFC 247 card, total embarrassment. But after that, big win over Frankie Sines, knockout, solid wrestler, beats Thomas Almeida, two people didn't really see coming, looks good. And the Davy Grant fight, where he, I thought he won the first round. He hurt Davy Grant, he was doing some good work, and then he got clubbed by that overhand left. But his last fight against Zayad Lavashvili, I fell for the trick. You know, I just lost to Davy Grant. Now he's taking on a pretty tough Georgian fighter, Moral Devajvili is telling people the dude can wrestle, which apparently was a huge hoax. And, and Martinez is like, he's pretty sound, man. I mean, he's out of factory X Muay Thai. He does kind of everything well. His striking's good. His grappling's okay. And his takedown defense has actually been pretty sturdy to this point in his career. Uh, shows takedown defense 72% in the UFC, but hasn't been taken down. He's been taken down once, conceived once in the last three years and against Frankie Science. I thought against uh, Zviad his last time out again, takedown defense stood out there. He's pretty big for the weight class. He's got good striking. He should be able to have his way against Alejandro Perez. Perez, meanwhile, is, is this week's uh, Gabriel Benitez, in my opinion. There was a time coming out of tough Latin America. This guy's serviceable, good gatekeeper type, has good success, trains at AKA, you know, and, and gets a favorable rub. But he's not the same guy he used to be. Now you're seeing him fall on the other end, the other end of uh, a couple results. His last three in particular, he gets the Cody Stamen fight. He gets outworked. Didn't look good whatsoever. The mm -hmm. Song Yadong fight. He gets knocked out two minutes into the first round. Whatever happened to his cast iron chin, right? Like his durability is starting to fade. His striking is not all that good. And then the Johnny Eduardo fight. He, he lost the first round. He got beat up in the first round by Johnny Eduardo and did not look good. And then in the second round, he took Johnny Eduardo down and submitted him. That's well, what Johnny well, Eduardo Paul, does, I, though. Right. Johnny Eduardo That's always looks great. That's not all that surprising for, to me. Yeah, Johnny Eduardo always looks kind of great until the first round. I'm pretty. We, we've talked about it on the show before. It's pretty clear that Johnny Eduardo 
bets on his opponents to win in round two. <laughs> right, like we, we've right. went over this before. Right. Yeah, and then Johnny Eduardo is known to do that. But again, when you look at Alejandro Perez, he's got UFC takedown accuracy of 23%, right? Yeah. He's yeah. never landed more than one takedown in any fight in the UFC. And he's had yeah, these stats are three, uh... six, nine, 10, 11, 12. He's had 12 fights in the UFC, and he's never competed, completed more than one takedown in any of those. The volume UFC just, fights. I'm just looking through his stats right now, and the volume is absolutely volume. deplorable. Like, it's tough. So what do you think's gonna happen here? He's gonna stay in the outside. It's tough winning with low decisions volume, no wrestling. With fifty significant strikes, and like fifty is like the ceiling for him. Um, yeah, yeah. I guess the Martinez being you know what the line the line alone. probably does make sense to be perfectly yeah, honest here. Yeah, Martinez yeah, wins likely by volume, but then uh, you start thinking, can I play Jonathan Martinez by decision? It's just like, well, Song Yudong absolutely shut his lights out in two minutes uh, into the first round. So maybe we can't really trust on the Weasel's uh, uh, durability anymore either. Tough scene. Yeah, durability, it could, it could be a problem. I, I just think Martinez, he's 27, so we know he's a better striker. We think he's going to be able to stuff the takedowns. He's got the better output. He's got the better durability. He should win. The one thing that I'll leave you with, and we'll pass on this fight, is again, this is another fight you want to just, you want to watch the weigh-ins. So his fight against Andre Ewell, uh, he made way for that one. His fight with Frankie Science, he came in at 140 for a Bantamweight fight. Missed weight by five pounds for Bantamweight. The next fight against Thomas Almeida, they forced him up to 45, and he came in at 146. And then since then, he's made weight his last two. But one has to wonder that Davy Grant fight, maybe he got knocked out because he had a bad weight cut. It seems like he struggles to make weight, and his face is always gaunt at weigh-ins. So maybe just watch weigh-ins before you, you lock it in. But yeah, I, I, I got to think that I agree with the line as well, and I think Martinez wins the fight. All right, moving on down, we got Ramiz Brahimai taking on Michael Gilmore. That's Michael E-A-L. What a weird spelling. And Gilmore spelled the wrong way. This guy's just a total mess. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so Rob, Ramiz Brahimai, minus 400 favorite. Gilmore is plus 300. Went back and watched Gilmore versus Petrosky. Um, It's not great. <laughs> It's not great, but he does have some pretty decent leg kicks and cause cause some problems for Petrosky uh, in the first couple of rounds, particularly in round two. He was causing Petrosky some serious problems. Um, but yeah, the grappling isn't great. This guy is what, like 35, 30, or 30, 34 years old. This is the final product, basically, for what we've seen from him. And clearly, if you get him to the ground, his grappling isn't great. You know, Gilbert Urbina was able to submit him on the Ultimate Fighter. Um, Petrosky, once he, round three is like, it was starting to get a little bit dicey for him. He gets him down to the ground, absolutely dominates him, gets the finish in round three. It, it's just a matter of probably my, how early does he secure that takedown? Because when he secures that takedown, I think he's going to find a submission. And I think he's probably going to find a submission. It's going to look a lot like Brahimai's best performance, which is against uh, Palatnikov, where uh, literally opening bell goes across, takes down Sasha Palatnikov, and just styles on him from top position. That's probably what happens here. Um, obviously the big question mark with laying a minus 400 on Brahimai in this situation though, is he's taking this fight on incredibly short notice. Michael Gilmore was supposed to take on Johnny Parsons 
and and Brahima steps up and in. I mean, if you're Brahima, if you're his management team, you kind of look at this situation. And you're like, this is an incredibly winnable fight. You know, we are coming off of a loss in our last time out. It seems like a good opportunity to get back on track. And we both, like, I don't know. Did you have Brahima? I think I had Court McGee. I don't think I bet him, though. Um, I was I was picked Court McGee against him. And I just it was because Court McGee basically doesn't get submitted. Very, very hard to take down and hold down. But... Brian Ma's game plan should be pretty straightforward here. Get this guy to the ground immediately. Fish for the submission. But when you start looking at the props for this, uh, Brahima by submission is already be great. plus 100. It's just like, yeah, the yeah, jury's out. Yeah. Everyone knows how this thing is supposed to shake out. So that would be my play, Brian Ma. <laughs> By decision, but I wouldn't be shocked if he gets that top position and then he just like rains shots on him. So plus 100 doesn't exactly get me excited, but that's how I see the fight uh, shaking out. What about you? Yeah, no, I would say it's by submission. I mean, look at Rahi's Brahimaj. She's got nine career victories, right? All nine of them are by submission. He has no knockout victories. He has nine submission wins. When you look at Michael Gil- Gil- uh, Gilmore, he's got four career losses, all four of them. Or by submission. He's actually got two amateur losses, one of them by submission, one of them by TKO. He, he, he's there for getting submitted, for sure. If he gets taken down, he's in a world of trouble. The problem with Remy's Brahimaj is that he seems to almost be like a one-round fighter. All of his fights, he fights for one round. And his wins are first round, first round. That one made to the second. First round, first round, first round, first round, first round, first round. Some of those are 20-second Kimura, a 24-second guillotine, a 36-second guillotine. A 55-second rear naked choke. So, like, yeah, he's capable of beating bombs or putzes really quickly. When he doesn't get a first-round finish, his game most definitely falls apart. He gassed it against Evan Cutts. He gassed it against Justin Patterson. Evan Cutts, I'll give you a pass. Justin Patterson, I won't. It's a low-level win. Max Griffin, you get a pass on that one. He's a stud, and it's short notice, and this and that, your ear blows up. But, like, his wrestling look atrocious in that fight, and he is no head movement. He just got boxed up, but you give him a pass because it's Griffin. Court McGee, it's tougher to give him that pass. His wrestling looked abysmal. In fact, he got taken down five times by Court McGee. He got boxed up. He got pressed backwards. He gassed out. He had pretty much nothing go right for him that entire fight. The one time he almost took McGee's back, it's like McGee just shucked him off like it was nothing. At that point, it's like, well, the best part of his game, which is his submissions, not even that great. Now, Court McGee's never been submitted outside of like an exhibition fight on the Ultimate Fighter, so... Okay, again, it's a tough stylistical matchup taking on this old savvy veteran with a giant beard that's hard to submit. Okay, tough. But the writing's on the wall for Brahimaj, whenever you're going to bet him, especially if you're betting him at like minus 400, that he could shit in your apple pie because mm-hmm. he just doesn't have cardio. And cardio is the biggest weapon. It's what we need. But no doubt the management company said, listen, this is a very winnable fight. And despite the fact he just got beat up six weeks ago, this is a good chance to jump back in the win column. He's 29 years old, so he's not old. Uh, the fight with Corey McGee, I think it was a good learning experience. It wasn't like he took a bunch of critical damage. And I think he probably went back to the drawing board and jumps back into this fight fresh. But does his cardio improve? Probably not. It's good that he just fought 15 minutes of Corey McGee. That's good for the cardio. But I, but I just I don't know that I'm sold on his ability to go. Now, here's the one issue with Gail Moore. Ricky Miller submits him second round. Willis Black, first round. Randy Patino, first round. Gilbert Urbina, first round. And then that Andre Petrovsky fight, dude, he gave up his back a pile of times in the mm-hmm. first round. He Petrosky's wasn't a bunch of green naked shows. Yeah, and Petrovsky just couldn't put him away. In the second round, Petrovsky's tired, and dude, 
Gilmore's like a Taekwondo black belt. You know what I mean? Like he knows how to throw punches and kicks. He just can't grab them. Yeah, for sure. The leg kicks aren't bad. And so against a tired opponent that stands there, he's a warm body. He will throw. And if for whatever reason, Ramiz doesn't finish him in the first or can't get the fight down beyond the fight, the longer it goes, he's going to work himself into a bad hole, man. So the pick is Ramiz. And I think Ramiz probably does submit him in the first round. But for whatever reason, Ramiz takes him down in the first and then is, is unable to put him away. And I think he's starting to fatigue a little bit and this gets to the second grease, round. Yeah. I'm pulling the shoot, dog. I am pulling the shoot. Yeah. I think I may bet the uh, Brian Mai by, or by submission plus 100. It's not great, but like Fair. that's really how I see it playing out. And then if I really want to get out, I imagine, well, maybe maybe you don't even have the opportunity. Because if Brian Mai's not able to get this fight to the ground, he probably loses a striking affair. Um, it could get really, really ugly. But Petrovsky wrestled I, collegiately. Ramiz didn't, you know? No, Petrovsky's exactly, actually an infinitely better wrestler. Than yeah, but Brian Mai um, is the better actual uh, BJJ practitioner by, by yeah, a long yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, the opportunities yeah, were there for Petrovsky to get the submission. He just, I don't think he really... <laughs> particularly had the skills um but yeah no if if Ramiz is not getting the takedowns this could get ugly really really fast um not overly impressed but it is a good opportunity for him to get back uh, to get back on track and finally we've got Carlos Hernandez taking on Victor Alta uh, Murano minus 135 Hernandez plus 115 Alta Murano who you got here buddy yeah, this is a good fight, man. This is a really good fight. You got two young prospects that got a very bright future ahead of them. Uh, Altamirano, he's 31 years old, but I mean, I think he's, is he the LFA champion? Yeah, he's the LFA flyweight champion. He's got a couple decent wins under his record already. I think there's a lot that you can like about him. Flip side to Carlos Hernandez. You saw both these guys on the contender series. Mm-hmm. Both these guys won split decisions on the contender series. Both of these They're guys young, struggled exciting. to stop takedowns on the contender series. And that's going to be the name of the game here, in my opinion, right? I think they're both excellent strikers and that they throw a ton of volume. They're flyweights. They definitely land. Altamirano, you saw him against Carlos Candelario, 100 significant strikes landed. But he got taken down five times. His takedown defense most definitely left Altamirano's takedown defense is some of the worst <laughs> I've seen at the flyweight division. Like, it's not even close. Yeah. like It, it, was, was, it was pretty bad. It was really bad. Really bad. He's able to Carlos, get back up, and when like in, his cardio looks good, and the one thing about him is that that chin looks dynamite. Like he was eating Candelario's man, best shots. shots, and it was like it didn't even phase him at all. So both these guys seem very very durable. Both of them seem to struggle a bit with getting take uh, with takedown defense. Uh, it, it, sorry, I'll let you finish before I say what I have to say. Yeah, I mean, listen, they've both shown that they struggle with some takedown defense. They're both good strikers. They both throw some fairly dynamic technique. I think that there's a good roster spot for both of them. But in the end, I felt that Victor Altamirano, his takedown defense was just the worst of the two. And I think if both of them are going to come out and strike and keep it competitive, then it's who's going to be able to just mix in maybe that one or two takedowns per round every other round to secure the rounds. And I think that's what Carlos Hernandez will be able to do. He's out of the VFS Academy. He's actually a training partner of Belmontes, who's also on the card. And these guys have spent a lot of time with, like, Izzy Martinez working specifically on the wrestling. Yeah, Rodriguez, once upon a time, spent a lot of time out of that camp. I, I, I think he's heading in the right direction. I bet him, not heavily, but fairly good enough against this Daniel Barrez. And Barrez is a shit-eating wild man. He throws caution to the wind, just heavy, heavy, heavy striker. 
just came at him aggressively. And this kid stayed composed. He stayed smart. He was getting out muscle to the ground, but he had the better technique. And I thought I agreed with the split decision. Whereas Altamirano, he was getting taken down left, right, and center, man. It was uh, it wasn't the best performance going. You look at some of his losses as well. He lost to uh, UFC veteran Jared Brooks, who's an excellent wrestler. And same thing in that fight. He just got easy money takedowns over him and submitted him. Nate Smith, Nate Smith should have been able to have sizable wrestling advantage. Just Nate Smith, just not all that good. So Altamirano is going to throw a ton of strikes. He's going to land a ton of volume. Maybe he has slight volume advantage over Hernandez. Hernandez, I think, is going to land the cleaner work, the, the crisper combinations. He also likes to double up, triple up in tight combinations. I think that'll be effective. I think that'll look good for the judges. And then that mixing in of a takedown of his own every here and there, I think, is enough to persuade it. So 50-50 fight. It's close. I suppose the slight underdog is Altamirano, but my pick is Carlos Hernandez. Yeah, I can't really uh, disagree with too much. I actually already bet Carlos Hernandez minus 122. It's moving a little bit obviously in his direction. So yay, CLV, you know, you can't pay the bills in CLV. It doesn't really matter uh, if he doesn't get the job done, but I saw a lot of the same things as you. The biggest concern I had with Altamirano is that, yeah, in that Candelario fight, like his, yeah, his takedown defense was about as bad as it gets. Um, I I made a note for myself on this, on, uh, on the rundown here. I was hoping that maybe I could get a sneaky Hernandez by submission because, see, on the regional scene, he has a bunch of submission wins underneath his belt. But, yeah, they opened it up at, like, plus 400, plus 500. That's not nearly enough. I was hoping for, like, 8 plus 800 to plus 1,000. Clearly, I'm not actually getting that. But I think, yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything that you said. I think the better strikes... Um, are going to be landed by Hernandez. And I have more faith in him mixing in the wrestling, getting some top control, and squeaking out some rounds. It should be relatively close, particularly when the fight takes place on the feet. But uh, I think as the line grows, it's going to get up to like minus 150 or so by the end of the week. I think Carlos Hernandez is the rightful favorite. That's why I already jumped in on it. Once it gets past like minus 150, though, I don't know if I really get overly invested like I do actually kind of think that this is like maybe a 60 40 type of fight a 65 uh, 35 type of fight like uh, I'm not saying that yeah Carlos Hernandez is not by any means an absolute lock I just thought at minus 122 when I grabbed it that uh, that there was some value there uh, particularly if he's able to like uh, Altamirano's takedown defense looked so bad that I'm pretty sure just about anybody could land a takedown or two against them. You get a, those, get those takedowns, get some top control, ride out some of these rounds. Hopefully, he's up two rounds. We get into round three, and uh, and that's all she wrote. Anyway, um, I'll just quickly f- rifle through what I've got. I've got uh, McKinney versus I am under two and a half rounds, minus one twenty three. It's small. They're all small bets. Is one sprinkle. Um, yeah, so under two and a half rounds, minus 123 in Zayam versus McKinney. Hernandez, minus 122. Uh, Rodriguez by submission, plus 400, plus a shoey with you, pal. Damn right, um, buddy. Um, uh, you have Musasi plus Shurkinov versus Terman over one and a half rounds. That's plus 128. Uh, parlay. I'm going to add, I'm going to continue to wait because it looks like the Baja Mondes by decision is growing. So maybe a little bit later in the week, maybe 
after weigh-ins, I, I'll add Bahamundas by decision. That's how I see that fight playing out. But uh, I th- the line seems to keep growing, so I don't think there's really much of a rush in that. And Brahimai by sub, I like it. But, yeah, we gave you all the reasons why things could get pretty dicey in that fight. We're less excited about minus 400, I'll tell you that much. Brahimai, if he's going to win this fight and make it look easy, it's take him down immediately. And uh, basically recreate the Sasha uh, Sasha Palatnikov fight because that's what he needs to do here. Things could get very, very dicey for him as a minus 400 favorite. Um, Without further ado, kid, hit him with the PRP. Hit him with the PRP. This week, the biggest issue is going to be who to put at the top of the ticket with Makachev because he's 9-1, so he's not doing anything. Who are you going to add with him? Who's your second biggest lock on the card? Might not exist. We are going to go with Islam Makachev. We're going to take Wellington Terman. I know, and think but, about that for a second, I right? Know, it's like it's last gross. week's Parker Porter. You just really don't want to do it, man. If you don't have any options, then you got to do it. But like, and and the other guy would be Tarukian, but we just broke the Tarukian fight down, and I told you at the end of it, I, I really wouldn't want to put him on a top ticket, right? So yeah. we're going to take Makachev. That's a no-brainer. Wellington Terman's are dog number one. I am going to take Ji-Yin Kim. You could pass, or you could take the dog on that one. I wouldn't blame you. We're going to go Tarukian. Armin Petrosian, dog number two. Going to go with Ignacio Bahamondes, Josian Nunes, Farah Zam, who, by the way, I mentioned uh, had been training for a Bulgarian top team a long time. He's at Sanford MMA now. Should help him out. Um, we're going to go with Jin Yu Frey. Could you imagine using Jin Yu Frey in like, your second ticket, man? What a greasy card this Oof. is. Jonathan Martinez, probably going to use him pretty high up. Ramiz Brahimaj, you're going to have to fit him in high up, but just don't love him. And then we're going to go Carlos Hernandez. Officially, we got 12 fights. Only two underdogs, but uh, that's not super uncommon. Last week, it was like three dogs hit. The week before that, I think it was two dogs hit. So you just got to make sure you're on the right side of that. If you're struggling, Paul mentioned he likes Gegar Musasi. I, too, like Gegar Musasi. I think other good pieces. Uh, Kassan Magomed Sherpov, obviously, he's a huge favorite, but is the beat's brother, and <laughs> kid looks pretty good, man. Jornel Lugo, who was minus 350 last night. I see he's like minus 430 now, so money's coming in towards him. He should be all over Brian Moore. I'm going to give Brett Johns uh, another shot here. But you not throw him all the way to the top. This Frenchman, Davy Gallon. So this dude's the total badass, man. And he's cashed a couple big tickets. One for me, the Kane Musa fight at Bellator 267, where he just said worked him good striking. But he knocked out Ross Pearson with a rolling thunder, like just before that. The dude has got excellent striking technique, and he's one of these guys that's live in pretty much any of his fights. I think there's a decent price being offered on him as well. Vladimir Tokov, he's going to roll, run through Skatizi. This Gokhan Sarakam, he looks pretty good as well. You're taking a risk by taking Darak Kelly because it's his pro debut, but he was an amateur standout. He's about minus 350. Again, I'm going to use him on some stuff. And then the last one, I guess, is Komen event, Liam McCourt. Liam McCourt's not very good. Now, Sinead Kavanaugh's not very good either, but she's out of SBG Ireland, which might be the worst camp. And hey, she, um, she at least landed like a heater on, on uh, Cyborg. Like she yeah, landed. She, what was that? A left hook? Guns a blazing. She, she definitely went, went into the fire. She landed a good strike on her, but you know, by doing that, she ended up absolutely folding. McCord, if, yeah, if well, memory serves me correct, like she's super, super tall. There really isn't much like power coming from Leah McCord. Um, well, Leah McCord, yeah. Again, five foot eight—that'd be tall for women's MMA, I suppose. But uh, she was like a good judo player back in the day, like uh, the under eighteen, the under twenty-three teams, like decent enough judo. Has a child, 
banned in the judo, late starting to MMA, being a single mother. So Bell, she's very pretty. Bellator jumps to it. They sign her. She don't look very good, but this Janae. You're breaking up. This show is brought to you by some internet provider. <laughs> like she ends up winning the fight. It was a, not a. Yeah, well, we can never talk about Oregon. Got the wins there. Sine yeah, your your Wi-Fi is breaking up pretty well, anyways, bad. That's on, it for- your your Wi-Fi is breaking up pretty bad on us here, so we might as well get out of here. Uh, make sure to check out Cody's Twitter at CJ Saptic. He'll drop all of his Bellator parlays, drop everything for the people because that's just what Cody Saptic does. For producer Pat Mayo and Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.